This is tape two in the series Life in the Local Church by Lance Lambert, entitled Spiritual Gifts. Concerning which salvation the prophets sought and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what time or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did point unto when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow them. These men, while actually uh, prophesying, were conscious of their prophecy and not understanding it. Now, in all the cases that I have known, of counterfeit uh, gifts of the Spirit, it has always been with the suspension of the mind. For instance, I can't give you names or things, but I know one case in my mind very clearly, where when I asked, the brother said, oh, no, I never know what I want to say. I have to be told by others. That is spiritism. Uh, that many of these prophets, when they spoke, didn't get someone else to take down what they said. They themselves wrote what they prophesied. And the Apostle Paul wrote some letters which were prophetic. And he was so unconscious at one point uh, of them being, in it, of it being sensational, dramatic, that he even wrote another letter and said, I'm awfully sorry for that first letter. I shouldn't have written it. It was the word of God. It was 1 Corinthians. His second letter, he says, I'm terribly sorry, I shouldn't have written that. I've had such a bad time about it. <laughs> now, this is real inspiration, and this is great comfort to us, because many of us, when we've exercised the gift, do have a bad time. And the enemy comes to us and says, now, you, you shouldn't, shouldn't. And this doesn't mean you know every single word you've said. No, but do get this clear. It is not the suspension of the mind. Possession is always the key to the occult. Inspiration, manifestation, is always the key to what is of God. So God uses our personality, our mind, our lips, our being, everything. And we're fully conscious and yet don't understand. Now when you speak in a tongue, you can't understand. You hear the sound but you don't understand what you're saying, unless you yourself ask the Lord for the interpretation of the tongue that you're speaking. You are praying with your spirit. You don't understand that. So you say, Lord, help me now. Give me the interpretation of this. And then you find that you've been praising God. The interpretation is you've been extolling the Lord. You've been don't ever think that tongues are only a message to you. Sometimes they're just worship to the Lord. And when you understand, it's absolutely wonderful. You've been adoring the Lord. Well, all right, uh, um, I just mentioned that. Now, another point, the governing law and the use of such gifts, it is summed up in the word building up. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Let all things be done unto building up. And verse 12, seek that ye may build up the church of God. It is the simple law by which all contribution can be judged. Is it to the building up of the church? Or, after you have exercised the gift, has it been for the building up of uh, the church? This is how we can learn and be trained and corrected by the Spirit of God. This simple law uh, covers everything. It even covers our personal use of gifts. Does it build me up? If after a use of some gift, I find that I'm in confusion, darkness, bondage, depression, there's something wrong. Because whenever you use one of these, you build yourself up when it's personal. 
And you should feel strengthened in the Lord and lifted up, able to face things. That's how we know. And there's the same with the church uh, as well. Uh, thus, we have 1 Corinthians 13, right in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. You see, the only way you can build up is by love. And where, if love is absent, if that divine love is absent, there's no building up. It becomes display, it becomes pride in some gift that you have that you wish to exercise. It becomes advancement of yourself, trying to find a niche in the company or something like that. But where does divine love? Then all these gifts come into their own because your real objective is to build up, build up, build up, build up, and you will be saved. There's no need to be afraid of gifts when everyone really loves the Lord and loves the church because the aim is to build up uh, one another. Um, it says in Ephesians 4, verse 16, the body builds itself up in love. It's the same thing again. And there are a whole number of things that come out of this. For instance, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3 and verse 31, instruction and comfort, instruction and comfort. So that ye may learn, all may learn, and all may be comforted. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 5 to 8, marvellous little passage. It, that, uh, you're enriched in all utterance and knowledge, coming behind in no gift, even as the testimony of Jesus, of Christ, was confirmed in you. So here you have two wonderful things, enrichment, confirmation. So what does building up mean? It means instruction, comfort. It means enrichment, establishment, confirmation, being confirmed. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, for the common good, profit. Or wheels within wheels, I like to think of it. Everything working wonderfully for the common good. Profit of wiggle. Everything working. And that's the wonderful thing. Sometimes there's a little word of prophecy, it's not a great big thing, someone's got something on their heart, they say it quite gently and, and naturally. And what happens? We find out afterwards that some soul who's been in great problem and was too afraid to go to someone about it, God has spoken to them. And they've been lifted up and gone out, and they've, the whole way has been changed. Some, some uh, months ago, Hagar was in a terrible problem as to what to do. And I had a funny little word and I couldn't think, I thought, well, I can't do this, this is silly. Well, maybe it's something to do with the nation and the nations, or the great purpose of God and so on. But this little thing about someone, you're cast down and they're lifted up and the Lord will be with you and strengthen you and you've been very unhappy this day. And I thought, well, it must be me. But I felt so strongly that in the end I thought, no, I, I feel this is the Lord. So in the end I thought, faith. I meant forward and said it. I never heard anything. Till a week later, and someone I've said to me, do you know, Hagar was so depressed that she didn't know what to do. And then the Lord spoke to her. She got the answer. So simple. Uh, peace and order. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, 40. It doesn't always follow exercise of gifts, I'm afraid, but oh, how wonderful it is when it's right. Peace and order. Peace and order. Someone said to me this week, heaven's first law is order. Peace and order. Increase, Colossians 2, 19. That which every joint supplies, increaseth with the increase of God. 
Well, there we are. When it's not a true gift or it's something given for private use, not public, the result is often, if not always, confusion, disorder, division, death. Now, the last point I just want to make is this is a need to be spiritually balanced in our attitude to the use of gifts. It is spiritually immature to be so cautious, so wary on the one hand that will have nothing to do with spiritual gifts, freezing at the very thought of such being used. Or, on the other hand, to be so gullible and naive as to swallow anything or everything just because it's charismatic. I've often said this, I'll say it again. I mean, if I were to say to you for uh, preaching on Sunday morning for, on, on, on the subject of Naaman, and I said, now you see, he, he, he was baptized in the, in the River Jordan uh, seven times, and now the application of this from the Lord is that you should go down to the River Thames and get yourselves baptized. You'd all say, good gracious, whatever's happened to him. How terrible. Could he possibly apply the word of God like that? But if I were to say, Thus saith the Lord, the river Thames flows through Richmond. Therefore I say to you to show your humility, go down to the river Thames and jump into it. <laughs> <laughs> do you know there are some who would do it? <laughs> well, the fact of the matter, now the fact of the matter is this, simply, what is it? The fact of the matter is this, you see, you are used to discriminating what is said in the ministry of the word. But not everyone discriminates, very few sometimes, until we learn by the Spirit of God through our own experience that we must discern when the things of God and when it's not. Now everything that's uh, supposed to be charismatic is by any means of God. Very much isn't. And we have to learn, we have to judge, let them judge. Now, isn't it interesting, 1 Corinthians 14, what it says? It says, you can all prophesy, and the others discriminate. Discriminate. Not criticize, but discriminate. Sort it out. Sort it out. Was that the Lord or was it not the Lord? Eh? There's a great need, then, in this matter. Uh, we must allow the Holy Spirit to produce a spiritually balanced and mature attitude uh, towards the use of these gifts. We're told by the Word of God to desire earnestly the greater gifts, to desire earnestly the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. We must not be more spiritual than the Word of God. People often say, oh, but I want the Lord, not the gifts. But I saw it this way. I used to say that again and again. I used to say it. I, want, I want the Lord, not the gifts. But I, I saw that I was more spiritual than the Word of God. The gifts are gifts of the Lord. They're gifts of the Lord. When they're rightly used, it is a gift of Him. It's not that I'm getting a thing. What is faith? Faith is Christ in me, manifesting Himself as faith. What is a prophecy? It is Christ in me, manifesting Himself in a word. What is knowledge? It's Christ in me manifesting himself as one of those treasures of knowledge hidden in him. What is wisdom? It is Christ in me manifesting himself as one of those treasures of wisdom. And so we can go on. Um, I think uh, 
Um, we're also told not to despise prophesying, 1 Thessalonians 5.20, not to quench the spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, not to forbid speaking with tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. We are also told not to believe everything, but to try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. We are told to discern prophets, we're told to prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from that which is evil. And that is to do with prophecy, in my estimation. When you hear these gifts, don't despise them, but discriminate. And uh, prove it, try it, hold fast what's good, it has nothing to do with what's evil. If it's something bad, it has nothing to do with it. Reject it. Remember, the, uh, we are told to allow the anointing to lead us. Now, there are bound to be mistakes made in the use of spiritual gifts, just as in prayer and, con and in contribution in the open time. It's, however, the heart attitude uh, which counts above all, the readiness and willingness to learn, to be corrected and to be trained. Now, just a few questions. Um, I won't take all, but I'll take some of these because they get right down to the practical side uh, of it. Um, to what extent are gifts related to ministries? Uh, well, I think I have um, uh, sought to explain that already, uh, that in fact there is a relationship uh, in some ways. Um, in other words, you have the gift of a prophet, you have the gift of a teacher. Uh, but there is also the other, which is the manifestation of the Spirit. And that's when we're all open to the Lord, and use any one of us as he will distributing as he will. So we can go on, I think, there. Um, in actual fact, as I've said, knowledge, the word of knowledge, is one end of the scale. The teacher is the other. A real gift of teaching is the other end of the scale. But it's really the same thing in one sense. Um, we would say many other things there. To what extent is the value of a gift dependent upon the spiritual experience of the giver? Very greatly. Very greatly. If a person's a really deeply spiritual person, the exercise of the gift and the quality of the gift will be that much greater. Now, that's an important point. Uh, uh, I think we, again, ought to just underline that, that spiritual character does have something to do with this. And also, so does spiritual vision. You can only prophesy according to your vision. God can't use you really beyond that in one way. can to a certain extent but uh, very much does depend on spiritual uh, character. To what extent can we rely upon words of prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, etc.? For example, one company of believers, after receiving a prophecy, started to take many hundreds of Bibles into Eastern Europe, and the whole enterprise was greatly blessed and used of God. Another company received a word stating that one of the young men should marry one of the young girls in the company, and the result was tragedy. Some people receive words about where other people should go and what they should do or what's going to happen to them. Should we allow ourselves to be influenced by these things? Well, now, what a question. Um, I think we should be extremely careful of direction through gifts alone. Willie Burton said to me that he felt so strongly on this matter that he would rule out the use of gifts for the direction of the church or believers. I think they may be going a little too far. But I think we should all be careful if someone says 
to you, the Lord says to you, go to Timbuktu. I think you should be extremely careful. And on this question of marriage, oh, I can only add my own experience of people, at least two cases I know of people who've been directed to get married and have ended in tragedies. Willie Burton said that this was so terrible in the Congo that they stopped speaking of tongues and interpretation in the churches in southern Congo for quite some years because they had so many tragedies in this matter. Now, this is where the enemy comes in. It's a misunderstanding of the use of gifts. Generally speaking, gifts are for comfort, instruction, comfort, uh, and so on. They're not really so much for direction. There are times when the Lord does speak to us, and, and so on, but I think we should be careful. Never move on a gift alone. Always remember the need of fellowship with the church as well, and uh, you'll be safe. The church is not there to direct you any more than a gift should. The church is there to act as your security and safety. So remember uh, uh, that. Um, can you, um, how can you tell when a contribution is not of God? Well, I think uh, you can tell when a contribution is not of God. I think, first of all, this is where the gift of discernings of spirits comes in. And thank God if there are those who've got this gift where they can spot when something's not of God and can say so. I know that certain companies, as I said before, in this company have been preserved and have marvelously gone on because certain brethren amongst them have got this gift, discernings of spirits, and have stopped people and been criticized for it instantly. The moment they felt that there was something that was wrong. It's different when someone's making a mistake. But it is altogether another matter when something's counterfeit or there is some other spirit in it. It's false. That must be stopped. Uh, I would say, how can you tell? I believe you can only tell by an inner anointing. The, no man needs to teach you in this. It says so in 1 John 2, verse 27. You have an anointing which is of God which teaches you what is of God. And you must abide in him. All right? Um, when a false gift is exercised, should something be said in a meeting to avoid confusion, or should you deal privately with the person afterwards? Well, I think it's very much a question of the kind of gift it is. If it's a person who's put their foot in it, I mean, I don't even know whether a need needs to be, uh, whether there's even a need to say something, because often, uh, like in prayer, someone has to learn by the mistakes that they make whether they have something which is for corporate use or not, or whether they were right or wrong. But I must say that I think uh, when it is something counterfeit, it should be stopped publicly. The reason is this, that when something really counterfeit comes in and it is not checked, it's as if a poison comes in and confusion nearly always comes as a result of it. It has to be rejected. We had, a, you remember, some of you, an example of this some years ago when a fellow suddenly stood up in the morning meeting and said uh, something about, uh, this is not worship in the spirit, this is so on, so on, so on. Now, this particular morning happened to be a very wonderful one, and uh, uh, it seemed quite incredible. Now, we all took it, we all took it, but a most awful sense of death came over everything, and we all... Uh, sort of waited and waited and then finally 
I, I thought, I, the Lord said to me, Lance, you've got to stand up and say something. And I, oh dear, it'll upset the poor fellows. But in the end, I just simply said, um, I feel whether that what our brother has said is right or wrong, the enemy's coming. And we must reject this. Let us do so. And we all did. You remember? And immediately broke. When Hilma Kerr, a man full of the Spirit, came to try to give the word, he couldn't give it. And he said to me afterwards, I felt all along we should have turned to prayer. Now that was the seriousness of that contribution. He couldn't even give the word. A man really full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit. Now that taught one great lesson. When something is really wrong, it has to be stopped. Because it goes right in and it causes confusion and that's where all the trouble starts to work out in the whole. So I'm sure that that is a... But where, in other cases, it should be dealt with privately. And we, if we're all ready to be corrected and, and to not get sort of funny about it, uh, someone speaking to us, I mean, of course, then things are marvellous. It's lovely because we can go on with the Lord together and, and have confidence in one another. You can't have confidence in people who won't be taught or won't even receive a word of correction. But when you can see people do, well, you've got confidence in them. And we, you, we all have confidence in one another then. Um, can the wrong use of a gift open the way for evil or seducing spirits to enter a company of believers or an individual? Very definitely. Oh, my word. I wish I could spend half the evening telling you examples, but it would perhaps not do any good. The fact of the matter is we know of companies that have been absolutely divided and divided and destroyed by the operation of so-called gifts which were not of God at all. Directing people to do things, take pointing out certain people in the company that were supposed to have things wrong in their families and so on. Oh, terrible thing. Destroyed the whole thing. Well, it's a terrible thing. No, I think it's, uh, they can, very definitely. Why is it that some companies of believer have been irreparably divided over the question of gifts and the exercise of, of them? Well, of course, there's no quick answer to that. I mean, sometimes it's because there are those who are absolutely adamant they won't have anything to do with it. It's not always the people who exercise gifts who divide, you know. Many people think that it's the people who exercise gifts that are always dividing them. It's not so. Sometimes that I've known cases where I'm told, all oh, these people have done this and this and this and this. And when I've gone in, I've found the sweetest spirit in the world. They say, we've not spoken in tongues in the meeting. We've not done this. We've not done that. We haven't even tried to influence people. All we've done is try to love them and they won't have anything to do with us. That's one side. On the other side, I have to say, and there are cases where people have gone overboard on this thing and have just sort of, sort of tongues, 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 or gifts, 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 and more gifts, and to such an extent that they've driven away right down the center of uh, a work which could have been together. Now, the wonderful thing is, look, what, look what's happened at Basingstoke. Look what's happened at Woking. A whole company in a denominational group moving right in. Why? because of wise, careful leadership and love on the part of, of the people who were being filled and baptized with the Spirit. And so gradually the whole came in. And that's, I think, how it uh, ought to be. We must be very careful of this um, idea that uh, under the guise of faithfulness that we should uh, preach a thing or push a thing, often in the energy of the flesh, through because it's faithfulness to the Lord to do so, come what may. It's not right. 
faithfulness to the word of God is one thing, to the truth of God. Another thing is, is to divide the saints. Um, what is the gift of discernment of spirits? Is it the same sort of thing as ordinary perception? No. Uh, that's a simple answer. I don't think it is ordinary perception. And some people who've got ordinary perception and say things about people prove in spiritual things to be totally wrong. Discernment of spirits, discernings of spirits, is a definite manifestation of the Spirit. It's a gift often in certain people. They know whether things right or wrong, and they seem to be able to see right to the heart of a matter. Are there a variety of ways in which spiritual gifts can operate? If so, what are they? Yes, there are. I think that uh, these things, have, well, the service has been done to the uh, gifts of the Spirit by only thinking that they can operate in a certain way, in a certain manner, in certain gatherings. Uh, I think that they can operate at all times in all our life together and sometimes in our fellowship with one another. And I think the more natural we are, the better. Many, many a time I've known a person have a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom over a situation, just in conversation. And sometimes some people's conversation has been prophetic. Have you ever had that experience, talking with someone? And what they've said to you has been absolutely prophetic. And you've gone away and you thought, my goodness me, because my whole life's just opened before they seem to have seen the whole thing. It's prophetic. They didn't say, and the Lord says to you. They just said to you, you know, well, I've been praying about you and I believe that this might be the thing. And so, so don't you think so, so? And it's been absolutely prophetic. Well, now, uh, what other things can we just say? What is the difference between a word of prophecy and the words of a prophet? I think we've uh, said a little bit about that already. There is a difference because the um, uh, a word of prophecy is often sudden inspiration by the Spirit of God, and you give something. The words of a prophet can have a certain amount more um, uh, uh, dealings behind, you know, that's come out of it. But principally, it's the same thing. Don't divide these things, because principally the same. Prophetic ministry is basically the same as a word of prophecy, only it happens to be dealing with much bigger um, uh, uh, matters. Uh, um, how do you know you have a prophecy? Now, this is a good question. How do you know you have a prophecy? Two or three people have asked me this, and I'm quite sure that some of them have had a word of prophecy, and they just haven't uttered it. How do you know? You don't know it by suddenly just uh, uh, sort of being nearly exploded or uh, dynamited or things. How do you know it? There is a clear word in your heart from God. Now sometimes you, at first, some of you never uttered your a word of prophecy will think that God is just saying something to you. Maybe, see? If that word persists in your heart, <coughs> there may be need to open your mouth and say it. Just as the Holy Spirit leads. I know that uh, um, uh, there are times, especially in the first time you do it, when it's like, well, it was with me, I know the very first time I actually prophesied in, in the way here that we're talking about, uh, it was just as if there was a cork in a bottle and I, I, I sort of built up and there was a brother praying for so long. And I thought that if he didn't shut up, I would burst. <laughs> and then suddenly, it came out, and I prophesied. And, and, uh, but I mean, I, 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 since then, it's not been always like that. 
Uh, often God gives a word and you know it in your heart. There's a word there. You know it's a thus saith the Lord. You know the Lord is speaking. What are you to do? Then come all the doubts. Oh, you good saying it. They will think so and so and so and so of you. Or maybe it's just your emotion. You've just got some funny idea. But I think you have to move in faith there. That's how you know whether you've got a word of prophecy. We are exhorted in Scripture to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that we may prophesy. Why prophesying especially? Because prophecy is uh, so clearly to the building up of the church. So much more so than many others. That's why. If you do not have a certain gift, for example, prophecy, can you still discern if a prophecy is good? Of course. <laughs> of course you can. Of course, you don't have the gift of prophecy or you've never prophesied. You can certainly tell by the Spirit of God whether something's of God or not. Um, can you receive a gift by the laying on of hands? Certainly. It's not the actual hands that do it. There's nothing magical about receiving a gift. Apostle Paul says, you have a gift by the laying on of my hands. Another place he says, by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So we understand that he and the presbytery, the elders, laid hands on uh, Timothy. But in another place, in Romans uh, 1, verse 11, he actually says, I'm so wanting to come to you, he says to them all at Rome, that I may impart a spiritual gift to you. Uh, yes, there certainly is. This is a most amazing thing. We don't fully understand it. There's nothing magical about it. It's something to do with the body. That's all. And the laying on of hands, you know, is a testimony simply that, that you, the members, are under the headship of the one law and that we belong to each other. Uh, there's nothing magical about it. I've known people have hands laid on them by all kinds of great brothers and nothing's happened. I've also heard some who were told that they'd got this gift or that gift and it turned out that they hadn't. Well, you've got to be careful there too. But I also know the most wonderful case of people who've had hands laid on them where desperately uh, the Lord has manifested himself later on in that person. It's something to do with the unity of the body. How do we receive spiritual gifts? We receive spiritual gifts by being in Christ and Christ being in us, but we ne they are never manifested until the Holy Spirit comes upon us. It needs the impetus of the Holy Spirit. Until the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon us, uh, they are tied up inside. Uh, that once that happens, they can come uh, out. If you're not using them, how do you stir them up? <laughs> Good question. How do you stir up a gift? Well, the reason you're not using it is because you've allowed it to settle. How do you stir up a gift? I think the only way you stir up a gift is by laying hold of the Lord. That's all. By definite laying hold of the Lord and opening yourself uh, to the Holy Spirit again. Uh, it's very easy, you know. Don't we do this even in prayer? You can, sit, you can come to a meeting and sit there as a spectator and after a while you feel out of it. You don't feel in touch even. And then the Lord has to shake you. And you have to sort of stir yourself up and say, now, I'm definitely going to give myself to the Lord now in this time. I think you have to do it again and again and again. Oh, we've also got a wonderful tendency to lethargy. Um, if everyone is functioning properly, should all the spiritual gifts be manifest in a local company? Um, I'm not sure that we should say that all should be. I think what we can say is that all can be. 
The wonderful thing about the gifts is that all these different things are there to be called upon by the Holy Spirit at any time he desires. And uh, that brings us to another question, which I think we'd better end with. What is the place of gifts in a company that really knows the Lord, has gone on with the Lord? Is there any difference between that and a company that's young in the Lord? To a certain extent, yes, in another, in another way, no. I, I think it's, in one way, always the same. But I've never forgotten what Campbell McAlpine said to us brothers when we were very bothered some years ago as to why we uh, seem to be slower than some other companies in this matter. And we asked him to come up and fellowship with us for a, an evening, and we asked him and set before him the whole matter. We were quite honest about it. We said, we've prayed about it. We desire that we should move on with the law. We can't understand. Some people say it's because we are against these things or because we are, we're standing. And uh, after that wonderful evening of fellowship and prayer, he said to us, you see, he said, I feel that when a company is able to discern the mind of God in an inward way, they do not need often many of the gifts uh, all the time in operation. And I believe that is true. Uh, once we've got to know the Lord, they are there for confirmation. They are there for confirmation. And this is really what I think we ought to underline, that uh, these things are an added dimension. Uh, they are uh, just an added fullness. They are a me equipment, necessary, vitally necessary equipment that we need. And I believe that if we were all more open to the Lord, we should find these things were operating quite uh, simply. Now there are one or two questions on uh, tongues. I suppose really I ought to just... Uh, just take two or one or two of them, two or three of them. Can it, in a public meeting, be right to have tongues without interpretation? For example, in praise? I would be careful. In the old days, uh, the Eastern way of praying and the Jewish way of praying is for everyone to pray together. And that kind of prayer was not considered to be public prayer when everyone shouted out loud their prayer. So you've got a great hubbub of noise. Um, but it seems to me uh, that when the scripture says about the use of tongues in public, two or uh, three at the most, we ought to take note of that. And if we speak in tongues, if we have that gift, let us do so, but let us do so quietly. We don't have to do it in such a way that we force ourselves on others and possibly uh, upset them. I have been in some meetings, um, and I, 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 I speak in tongues, but I've been in some meetings where I've been thoroughly put off by people on either side. I'm trying to worship the Lord, really trying to worship the Lord, and all I'm conscious of are these two people. So I sometimes think, no, I, I'm not sure about it, uh, uh, really, which, well, how can I know that there was an interpretation for any tongue which I have? How can I know? Good question. It says if there's not an interpreter there in the church, uh, let him keep silent. Well, I think that generally speaking, uh, we have just got to learn by experience and by the knowledge of the company whether there are those who are able to interpret. But do let us be careful to be sure that our gift is a gift for uh, the church and not just private. That is a point uh, there. 
Um, if there is a tongue and an interpretation, could it be that the tongue is right and the interpretation present but not given? Yes, of course. Um, is the gift of tongues Paul used at home to edify himself the same as the gift of tongues for a public meeting? No. <laughs> in one way, just in another way. It's the same gift. But there is that which is given for the whole. I think we, are, we, we come to the inescapable conclusion um, when we deal with this matter um, that on the one hand, this kind of poo-pooing of uh, the gift of tongues in some quarters is nearly always by people who themselves do not speak in tongues. And they always say, of course, the Apostle Paul said he'd rather speak five words in an intelligible word than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. We would, I always would feel much happier if they themselves spoke in tongues when they said this. You know, that they had this gift, but they don't. <laughs> and you get, they get the... The Apostle Paul must have spoken an awful lot in tongues, mustn't he? If he said, I speak in tongues more than you all, unless it was a classic piece of exaggeration, which is possible. But of all the places, my word, he must have spoken a lot in tongues. Um, and then he also says, I would that you all speak in tongues. But on the other hand, we have to recognize that he does put an emphasis on prophecy as over against tongues and does say that he would prefer to speak in intelligible language in the church uh, than in a tongue. So what he ends up by saying is, if you're going to speak in a tongue, there must be an interpretation, two or three, and it must be one must interpret. Well, there we are. There's a lot more we could say. We've only touched an uh, iceberg of a huge subject. And may the Lord help us all, give us understanding and insight. I, want, I often wonder what the Apostle meant when he said, greater gifts. Greater gifts. Earnestly desire greater gifts. I don't think he was despising uh, uh, some of the others, but I, there, there obviously are those that are more use, of more use in the life of the church and gatherings of the church and the building up of the church than some of the others. So let us all seek the Lord, not go overboard on any of these things, but let us seek the Lord, let us be open to the Lord. And as I said uh, to the brothers, my whole uh, feeling about this time this evening was not to speak to those who haven't got the gift, that must remain for another time, but to speak to those who have some uh, gift, who have exercised it now and again, or those who've got uh, uh, get or know in the Lord, use them in some way in this manner, and yet uh, have been rather nervous, uh, not knowing quite what to do. May the Lord then help us. Shall we pray? Lord, we really do need thy help if we are to be brought, Lord, into a clear understanding of this immense subject. Our prayer, Lord, is that we may really know in the most wonderful way a real exercising, Lord, of those spiritual gifts which thou hast uh, distributed by the Holy Spirit. O oh, Father, we pray that we may know a true manifestation of the Spirit in each one of us for the common good. Uh, we pray we may be delivered, Lord, from all that's false or all that's artificial. And at the same time, we may be brought, Lord, into what is healthy, sound, and, Lord, may end in the 
building up of the body in love. So now, Lord, we give ourselves to Thee. We thank Thee for helping us on this hot evening. We pray that Thou move on with us all. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.